Well, tonight we're going to start a new video study, and it's only a four-week thing, and it's going to give me time to regroup. Uh, I don't know about regroup, but I, I like this guy, this Derwin Gray. I don't know. I went to some men's conference that I it was it was during COVID, and he was one. It was a, like a webinar or whatever they call that. Uh, but he was one of the pastors there, and I really started listening to him there. And uh, I don't know where his church is. I did know at one time, maybe North Carolina somewhere. But he was an NFL player. He played for the Colts, I think. He was a, a defensive back, this guy was. Derwin Gray, you can look him up. Um, but he just seems to be kind of uh, uh, no-nonsense, kind of just practical, practical easy to understand kind of fella and I, I'm drawn to people like that because I've got a simple little brain and uh, I need simplicity in my life I listen to people like John Piper or maybe somebody like John Piper's the one I think of I listen to him and I'm like what is this guy talking about yeah, he's got a lot of good things to say but sometimes it goes Soop. so I need uh I need simplicity. So Derwin Gray offers that. And uh, this this week he's talking about um, making peace in a world of conflict. That would be holy habit number one in session one. And the goals of this session would be to, uh, it says every session has a point. Which, obviously, that's obvious. Okay, main idea will be because of the forgiveness God has graciously shown to us, we should be eager to build a habit of conflict resolution and peacemaking. The head change for this session should be to know that God has graciously restored our relationships with Him through Christ's work on the cross. The heart change is to feel compassion for those who have hurt us and a desire to make peace with them. And the life change is to pursue conflict resolution with others in humility and wisdom. So, this video is a little bit longer. I think it's 15 minutes. So, uh, before we view the video, they've got a couple questions. It, it, it's just encourage, encouraging us to think about these couple questions before we start the video. So, what are holy habits is one question. How has God resolved conflict between humanity and himself is one question. And what does the Bible say about how to handle conflict in our relationships. So let's pray before we watch the video. Heavenly Father, I pray that over this four-week period that um, that we're made aware of our own habits in our life and uh, that maybe we're encouraged to, uh, especially in this session, if we've got conflict in our life, uh, which conflict comes fairly easy. I, I hope that this session will be a benefit to us uh, to show us how we can make peace in relationships, make peace and keep peace. Derwin talks about both, but making peace is the important one. And uh, I just pray that uh, this this session glorifies you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hammer down, Josh. There he is. can't hear that in the back. Hey, what's happening? My 
My name is Pastor Derwin Gray. I'm the co-founder along with my wife of Transformation Church, and I'm the lead elder pastor. I want to thank you for taking this journey with me. We're going to learn holy habits. What in the world is a, is a holy habit? Um, holy habits allow us to frame rhythms of life so that we can be in tune to God's grace. We all have habits. Even the way we think is a habit. The things that we do, like I have a habit. I get up in the morning and I drink me a little bit of water and then I begin to drink some coffee. It is a habit. Well, God wants us to develop holy habits because our habits actually shape us as people and who we are as people is the imprint and legacy that we leave in the world. It's the imprint of joy and fulfillment that we have. And it's also partnering with God in this majestic, incredible reality called his kingdom. So in session one, we're going to start off with some light stuff. We're going to talk about the holy habit of making peace in a world of conflict, all right? So so we're gonna start off with the easy stuff, making peace in a world of conflict. Here's a life-transforming statement. I'm not sure who said this statement, but it's a statement that's made a statement in my life, and I hope it blesses you too. It's this, sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. And this is one of the beautiful realities as a follower of Jesus, that in view of God's mercy, Romans 12, 1, we can present ourselves as living sacrifices, but we're also transformed by the renewing of our mind. What I say often in Transformation Church is this, the scene of the crime is your mind. And so God wants to gospel our minds. And one of the ways that he does it is by developing holy habits. So what are holy habits? Great question. Glad you asked. Holy habits are intentional. Let's pause here. Are intentional. When we're unintentional, we're being intentionally unintentional. So we want to be intentional. Holy habits are intentional, Jesus-centered rhythms and decisions empowered by the Spirit that showcase our allegiance to God, His church, and His mission of reconciliation. So, so these are intentional decisions to wrap ourselves in the rhythm and grace of Christ Himself. So our first holy habit is making peace in a world of conflict. Listen, um, if you knew everything that was going on in my life right now that was not peaceful, uh, I'm a human being just like you. Regardless of who we are, we all go through stuff. Why? Because this is not yet the new heaven and the new earth. There's difficulties personally, family-wise, work-wise. It is challenging. But then when you look at the difficulty of political division, racial fracturing, I mean, all types of things, but our contemporary context is no different than when Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Jesus said this, blessed 
are the peacemakers. Let's pause here. The word blessed is the Greek word makros, and it literally means happy. So it can be translated, happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God, sons and daughters of God. So blessed means to be happy, and an attribute of being happy is being a peacemaker. And one of the ways that you know that you have relationship with God is you are engaging in peacemaking. So peacemaking is not peacekeeping. Respectfully, lovingly, some of you are experts in peacekeeping. At one point in time, I was an expert in peacekeeping. Why? Because as a child, because of my family context, I was taught to avoid conflict. And when we avoid conflict, it's like not paying your taxes. The IRS is going to come and collect those taxes. Um, it's like not paying the interest on a loan. It goes higher and bigger and more and more. Perhaps something that started off small will become something big. So keeping the peace often means avoiding conflict, but it's a false peace, right? So, so making peace means we enter conflict through the power of the Spirit to, to resolve the turmoil, or at least try, and to improve relationships. And as we think about this, think of the cross. Let's pause here for a minute. In this grand, beautiful story, we have a loving Father that has wanted image bearers on earth to reflect his glory. And these image bearers, you and me, beginning with our first parents, Adam and Eve, decide to do a coup, decide to do a rebellion and say, God, this great creation that you've called us to manage, we want to own, we want to run the show. And when we've done that, the world became fractured. We became sick. We became spiritually dead. A whole host of broken things. But, but what does God do to make peace? He tells this man named Abraham, hey, Abraham, uh, I'm going to create a family. It's going to be made of every nation, tribe, and tongue. It's going to be all the ethnos. And eventually, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the nation of Israel comes about. And there's whispers always through the story of Israel that one called the Messiah, this divine figure, would come to right all the wrongs, to turn all the sad things untrue, to make the dead live, the sick healed, to bring about this glorious salvation and this glorious kingdom, this glorious gospel of peace. But how did God do it? God the Son, Jesus, the incarnation, comes to earth. And, he, and for 33 years, he lives a sinless life because we couldn't. Dies an atoning sacrificial death in our place to give us grace. He experienced disgrace so that we could have a place in his kingdom of peace. And on the third day, he rose again to be seated and enthralled at the right hand of his father, sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. So the God who made peace with us through shedding his blood is the God who gives us power to be peacemakers. So how do we make peace? First, we, we enter the conflict with gospel-shaped confidence and hope. And what do I mean by that? Is that it takes the power of God. It takes this good news of Jesus. The same grace that God met you with is the same grace you meet people in conflict with. The same grace that forgave you is the same grace that you forgive. The same grace that spoke truth to you is the same grace that we speak truth to each other. And we enter conflict 
not to win. We enter conflict for reconciliation. For example, if you're married and you and your spouse are in an argument and you win the argument, you both lose because you're on the same team with the same dream. So we enter this conflict, making peace, seeking to heal the relationship in love. And love is not flimsy or sentimental. Love looks like the cross. It's sacrificial, it's, it's consistent, it's truth-bearing, it's patient, it's giving, it's honoring. We enter conflict to care about honoring God more than getting our way. Now, this is where we have to have some humility. When we enter conflict, we don't enter in uh, 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 like, like Mr. Big Shoes or I'm the boss. We enter in like Jesus, humbly with a towel wrapped around our waist. How to make peace. We talk to the person we're in conflict with. We don't talk about the person we're in conflict with to other people. So let me pause there for a minute. Hold up. Wait a minute. A lot of times what we do is we gossip. We go to another person instead of going to the person we have the conflict with. Don't gossip. Go to the gospel and go directly to the person. Then if that doesn't work, then you bring another person into it. And understand, venting is not the same as resolution. Oftentimes we use venting and gossip as a means to not actually engage in the conflict. So, so you want to go to them. You want to you walk to them. And there's going to be times you're going to be rebuffed. You're going to be rejected. But the goal is to honor Jesus. The goal is to go. Also, you don't want to blame. You want to explain. You don't want to blame you want to be able to explain. So everything that I'm saying requires sober-mindedness, requires self-control. It requires the power of the Holy Spirit. It requires being intentional. So the reality of being a peacemaker in a world of conflict means we have to be intentional about saying, Holy Spirit, give me self-control. Holy Spirit, live in me. I'm the righteousness of Christ. I'm reconciled to Christ. I'm a friend of God. I'm a temple of the Spirit. We want all of the identity that we have in Christ to bear weight through us so that we can be peacemakers. So don't blame, explain. Also be specific with how you feel. If you're a slow processor, say, I need space to really think about what I'm gonna say. It's okay to take your time to think and journal so that you can better communicate your thoughts and feelings. People matter to God. How do we know? The cross is bloody. The tomb is empty. Therefore, every person is worthy of us being intentional about this holy habit of being a peacemaker. And so you want to explain, like, the goal is peace and harmony. The goal is is peace and harmony, peace with the person, harmony with the person. Conflict resolution is not you versus them. It is both parties working together to honor and to glorify Christ. And let me pause here. Wouldn't it be awesome if the world, the culture that doesn't know Christ said, hey, let's go to the Christians because they know how to resolve conflict. 
want to pray with the person. It is hard to be mad at somebody you pray with. You want to pray for the person you are in conflict with. And at the end of the day, in response to God's grace and mercy, we want to be obedient to God even when you don't feel like loving your enemy. This doesn't mean that you're a doormat. It doesn't mean you're taken advantage of. But what it does mean is that you enter into the crucible of the cross. You enter into the crucible of humility. You enter into what it means to be a peacemaker. In Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21, the Apostle Paul gives this living portrait of what it looks like to be a peacemaker. Uh, peacemaking, once again, is Jesus-centered. It's intentional. It is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is who you are called and created to be. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. That is the anthem of a peacemaker. This is an intentional rhythm to wake up and say, Jesus, I'm going to join you in making peace. Go and make peace. downside of showing you all all these people that I like listening to is that if I come up with a, uh, a nice little catchphrase on a Sunday you'll know well that didn't come from Tink that came from Durbin Gray like I like when he said God cares about people how do we know this because the cross is bloody and the tomb is empty I thought that was good and then he said something else that slipped my mind but okay so Derwin defined holy habits as intentional Jesus-centered rhythms. First off, before we get started, I see some new faces in here. I meant to do this. I'm, I'm scatterbrained. I see some new faces. You've been hearing me on Sunday say Wednesday nights are my favorite because we it's not just me talking. We get to talk. If you have a question, ask it. Don't even have to raise your hand. If you ask too many questions, I'm going to kick you out of here, though. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. But I love Wednesdays because it's interactive and it's not just to sit and listen kind of thing. I like it because it's a place where we get to hear each other as a body of believers. So that's why I like them. That's why I like Wednesday nights the most. That's where I really grew in my faith initially the quickest. Derwin defined holy habits as intentional Jesus-centered rhythms and decisions and 
empowered by the spirit, the spirit that showcase our allegiance to God, His church, and His mission of reconciliation. Holy habits consistently bring honor to God and help bring others to Him. But cultivating these habits requires discipline and daily effort. Question number one of the evening. It's been three weeks since we've been here, so we need some participation. We need some participation. We were we got in a good rhythm, and then we took a three-week break. So question number one. What are some examples of holy habits in Christians? How do holy habits different from other habits in our lives? I always give multiple questions in one question. What are some, some examples of holy habits in Christians? And how do those habits differ from our worldly habits? Praying, reading the Bible. Praying, reading the Bible, yep. Going to church. Going to church, yep. But he didn't really give that kind of habit. Um, I think he was talking more about character traits that we might have that are holy habits. Yeah, it's at this point. I wish I knew what the last three habits are. Josh, can you look up what session two, three, and four are? What the titles are? Yeah, I think those, I mean, I, these are obviously good ones, but yeah, I agree with you that these are, he's really talking about character traits, peacemaking. What is session two and three and four? Being shaped by scripture. All right. So in what was third? Seeking and saving the law. Yeah. And resting in a weary world. Okay. So peacemaking, time in the word, evangelism is the word we would use, and uh, rest. So rest is a holy habit. That's good news, huh? You get one day. One day of seven, right? That's not true. I've found that being a pastor, rest is very important. I'm sorry. Be intentional. Yeah. You're going to pray pray for someone, you know, be intentional on praying. If you're, you know, saying you're going to be there to help them, be intentional in what you're um, saying you're going to do and follow through in in your walk with it. Mm Mm-hmm. What did he say about intentionality? He said, if we're being unintentional, we're being, we're intentionally being unintentional. Is that what he said? Yeah. Intentionally unintentional. That's right. There you go. Intentionally unintentional. That's like that part time, full time, part time thing. (laughs) (laughs) I think that what stands out to me, the difference between uh, holy habits and other habits, worldly habits, is that. You know, we think about it's New Year, so we think about, oh, I'm going to do this thing, or I'm not going to eat this thing, or whatever. We're leaving that up to, we're sort of leaving that up to our own strength, and it only takes like 12 days to really bomb on that stuff. But these holy habits are things we're seeking to do to honor God. Like, I'm not really trying to lose 20 pounds to honor God. It's more of a vanity thing, probably, as as much as I don't want to admit that. But some of it is. I want to live a long life so that I can... uh, share Jesus for a longer period of time here on earth. That's that's God honor. But most of it's vanity. You know, okay. But uh, holy habits, um, when we step into a holy habit like scripture reading or like peacemaking or evangelism, which is sharing Jesus or rest, sometimes our rest isn't so holy. It's maybe laziness. But a holy habit would be we're setting out to do something intentionally to honor God with our life Whereas other habits are just, a lot of times, just to feel, fulfill our own desires. Anybody have any thoughts on that? Well, just say that seeing the crime is your mind. 
<laughs> Jimmy Walton's taking notes back there. <laughs> what that applies, the way I look at it is, how do we react when we have these conflicts? Do we take the time to think about answering it in a godly way? Or do we want to retort with a quick, quick reply? And, uh, you know, so it all boils down to everything's up here. Mm-hmm. How do we use it? Yeah, and the scene of the crime most of the time happens long before the conflict ever does. So, like, how are you cultivating your mind and your heart ahead of time? Things could go really well for you for 10 years, and then suddenly some huge conflict comes. And if you've spent those last 10 years in selfishness, you're going to act quite abrasive when that conflict happens. But if you're cultivating your mind and heart when things are going well with the things of the Holy Spirit, then we are able to... We can avoid, I mean, the conflict might not even happen because of... It's definitely not going to be as big of a deal in our mind if we're if we're walking right. I think a lot of times with conflict, you're, or, you like to, I like to, if you understand where the other person's coming from, maybe where their background, why they are who they are, and and have grace and forgiveness for them, you know, understanding that we can be the same way and we can get wound up. And uh, I, I guess that's for me that in this world nowadays, there's so much going on and you can get so wound up and feeling negative about it that a lot of folks are making decisions based on what they know. And they don't know biblical principles. They don't know the Lord. They're, they're based on what on Satan's world, like on this world in general, and it's just if you kind of understand where they're coming from, you can have grace for them, mm-hmm. understanding, and, you know, maybe even a little bit of empathy, sympathy, something there. Right? Yeah, one of the if one of those guys. If you if y'all back in the back can't hear us up here, feel free to come forward. We won't we won't make fun of you. We won't buy. The nice people sit up front. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Too. I got bad jokes. Um, you said something that made me think about something in a different way, and I totally lost it. He said, uh, "Oh, what if he, what if Christians were the ones that the world went to for the peacemaking?" And you know, we really should be that. As much as you don't want to intervene in people's situations or lives, if 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 you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit in you, you need. To at times intervene in people's situations and lives, though it's it can be a headache, a big one. It can come back to bite you, bad. It can bite you, yeah. And, and you know, you you're real. You gotta be you. I you deal with what to say, what not to say, how they're going to receive it. But you know, I mean, you make yourself nuts with that. I sent somebody text just the other day. I said I can think of a thousand reasons why I shouldn't send this to you. And uh, and how you may respond, but here it is. <laughs> but then you, were, yeah, well, but you were, we, I feel like we can sit on our hands too much and really not speak up and share some truth. Yeah, well, and there's reassurances in Scripture, like if somebody is driven to anger based on something. I mean, these are all if we're acting in godly ways and somebody mocks us and is driven to anger because of it. That's not on us, you know. So you're welcome to just kind of step away at that point, you know. That that's we kind of covered that last week, you know. You mock a, or it, uh, talking about the wise and the and the foolish, you know. The fool is going to be drawn to anger, but the wise should seek that counsel. They should want to be corrected because 
the more you're corrected, the more it's a, it's a snowball effect, you know. You're you're being sanctified through that process. But yeah, I'm with you. I can think of a thousand reasons not to intervene in your life. I was telling them to watch your sermon last week. Oh dear. <laughs> Trying to take some heat off of yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Takes it. <laughs> yeah. There's to me a conflict in the people you're you're trying to talk to to resolve it and make peace between whatever's going on. You know, I'm in a situation with some neighbors. They're just they're, they're very verbal. We don't believe a lot. We just don't. So you can only and you you know. So the first holy habit we are exploring is the habit of peacemaking. It is one of the more difficult and most needed habits we can cultivate. But then what did he say in the very beginning He's that I laughed with you about? He said, we're going to start off easy with peacemaking. I'm like, well, peacemaking is not easy. Yeah, especially when he kind of talked about how peacemaking versus peacekeeping. I was like, Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. Yeah, peace. The way he said it, like peacemaking is an assertive thing, and peacekeeping is passive. Like you're hiding from the conflict. So we don't want to be peacekeepers, or not for a long period of time, anyways. You might have to do it every now and then, but we want to be peacemakers. So peacekeeping is where someone avoids conflict at all costs, keeping the problem out of sight and out of mind. Peacemaking is entering into a conflict, accepting responsibility for wrongs, seeking and giving forgiveness and rebuilding broken relationships. So the next question is, are you more likely to avoid conflict or address it too aggressively? In what ways can peacekeeping allow conflict to continue or even deepen? See, I know that I am way too aggressive if I'm upset. So I tend to try to peacekeep more to keep myself in check. So that was all this sort of, I don't know, because if, if I enter into conflict, I'm likely to go all Bill Ab and nobody needs that. <laughs> nobody needs that. One thing that he said that really stood out to me was, you're welcome to step away and gather, like you don't have to solve the problem right now. You're welcome to step away and gather your thoughts. He even said journal. I'm not much of a journaler. I, I would like to be, but that's a whole habit I haven't picked up on yet is just sitting down and writing things. Um, I have a whole list of notes in my phone that I that are reminders to write these things down before you forget them. But, but he's saying step away, breathe a time or two for a day, think about it, pray about it, and then go back so that we don't go all Bill Ab on folks. Paula. <laughs> You're not I've, I've done that. Damn, I do that. There's every time there would be something going on, I'm like, this bothers me, and I don't know exactly what it is just yet. And I told you that years ago. Because one of the long times I'm going to stay at, they're going to solve this deal, you know? And I'm still trying to figure out what the deal is. So it's like, give me a break. You know, but just back off. I need 24 hours yeah. to figure out what the problem yeah, is. Right. It is, because, you know, you're upset about it, but, and when you start analyzing it yourself, you're like, well, what is it about this that's the real root of the problem? Yeah. Was it your birthday? 
Was it for birthday? No, no. <laughs> no you, you just sometimes, if you don't do that, and he can't remember. If you don't step back a lot of times, though, it'll, you'll wind up arguing and dealing with all this stuff that really isn't the problem. And then that becomes a problem. And you never you don't know what, you, you know what, it's, what it's about. You know? yeah, so I learned that from the first marriage. <laughs> 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 Heather said something the other day. I walked in the house. She started asking me questions, and I said it politely, but I knew that this—I knew that the conversation—it had—it really didn't have anything to do with us, but it was a—it was a situation that affected us. And I said, "Now I'm not—I'm just not in the right headspace to talk about this at the moment." There you go. Now's not. This will not end well for any of us if we talk about this right now. <laughs> so we stopped. <laughs> I, but I'm not sure that we've revisited the conversation. We have. We have. So that's good. But yeah, I knew at that moment was not the right time to be talking about that. So that was nice. Anybody else? What was the question? Do we address conflict too aggressively or do we peace keep? Maybe a little bit of both at times for me. Erwin mentioned the first step of, to conflict resolution is to enter into conflict with confidence and hope in the gospel message. Just as God made peace between himself and humanity, we should also initi initiate peace in our broken, even hopeless relationships. Question is, how should God's pursuit of us in our rebelliousness change the way we treat those who have hurt us? Who in your life do you need to initiate peace with? How should God's pursuit of us and our rebelliousness change the way we treat those who have hurt us? He pursues us regardless. He forgives us regardless. He's constantly coming at us, giving us opportunity to repent. And, and you know, he's always open to us getting our head on straight and going back, you know. So I guess that could relate. Maybe we should be that same way to that other person. We should be that forgiving, open-minded willing to receive grace-filled grace yeah yeah i think patience is really important also knowing that you know we live we want things now you know we want things we what, what well, you know patience yeah definitely because god you think about what we do all of our lives and how long it takes us to come to an understanding what god is trying to do and you know, it takes us a long time. He has to be real patient. Yeah, now, I'll say for me. You know. <laughs> I just looked up and I saw you laughing. It's, I thought it, it takes a long time coming. You know, and yeah. you've got to be patient a long time. Yeah. Well, I, you know, if we're saved, we were once lost, and we were in the same sort of. We're in a, in a lot of ways, we're still in the same kind of messes that people find themselves in. Lost people find themselves in. Um, but if we're saved, we were once lost and blind. And if we're dealing with lost, blind people, we should have patience. First, we should have overwhelming gratitude that we've been saved, first off. God, thank you. you I'm, I know you. I'm in relationship with you. I'm walking with you. How do you want me to help this person out? Uh, patiently is one way, but um, assertively is one. Loving, you know, we have to be loving in the situation. And there are times where we just need to step away for a while and let it, let the, let let what we've done sort of permeate or let what the Holy Spirit is doing sort of perme permeate in the life of the person. Just 
you don't have to move in with the people that have problems. That'd probably create more problems now, wouldn't it? Uh, but we just, patience is a huge thing. I'm going to talk about that a lot Sunday, is patience. Um, and I went to the, I think I've said this in here before, I went to the art and it said, I'm sure I knew this at one time, but it's on the wall there, it said it took Noah, or it's 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 believed or it's estimated that it took him 75 years to build the ark. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we all would have died if it was up to me because I wouldn't, I can't do anything for 75 years. I, I probably won't even live that long, you know. And uh, just... And then it said that he lived on earth for 900 years. I'm like, I don't want to live on this earth for 900 years. No part of me wants to be on this earth for that long. Just kill me now. And That's, he aged gracefully. He definitely aged differently. That's for sure. And Because then I started thinking silly things like, what's a 900-year-old look like? Just dust particles floating around? <laughs> <laughs> but it just it, it, it made me think about patience. Like the patience that he had to have day in and day out to work on that art every single day you know in faith like oh god said it's gonna rain i guess i guess it's gonna rain i better hammer some more nails into this boat or whatever you know anyways i'm getting sidetracked in matthew chapter 18 verse 15 jesus tells us to go to go directly to the person we have an issue with instead of waiting for them to act procrastination and excuses will only lead us to tolerate a conflict rather than resolving it Question, what makes it difficult to go to the person who has hurt us instead of going to others? What effect can gossiping about someone to others have in resolving conflict? Usually makes the problem worse. The gossiping? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They wind up finding out what you're saying. The first part of the question was, what makes it difficult to go to the person who was hurt? Who has hurt us instead of going to others? Pride. Yeah. Fear. How they're going to respond. Yeah. Worry about it getting worse. Well, I think even the conflict itself, you know, to have like having to face the conflict. Because we'd rather that's Anger with what they've done. Yeah. And having to go to them and make it Yeah. So this all goes into what he's saying. Like if we if we're peacekeeping, we're kind of hiding in the shadows, gossiping, venting. He said venting. Um, instead of instead of facing the conflict, going straight to the person, like, hey, you said this, or I heard you said this. What's up with that? You know, that's that's not always easy, especially with a sober mind to go do it and not get angry. You know. But in the grand scheme of things. Better. If you're venting and gossiping, you're not really peacekeeping either. That's you're true. stirring the pot. Yeah. You're adding yeah. venom. You're adding ingredients to the soup mess. Yeah. So pride makes it difficult to go to face conflict head on. Fear, anger. The fact that they will, will feel that they were in the right anyway, even if what they did was wrong. Yeah, and that's where our wisdom needs to overflow and knowing like, oh, they're angry about this. I'm attempting to forgive them. And hopefully I genuinely do forgive them. It's time for me to just walk away. It's not going to fix anything. Me lingering and begging you to see the wrong that you've done, you know. Yeah. 
No, that's not easy to do. You can walk away if it's not family. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to agree to disagree. And what it has to do with what you consider correction or a need in their life or something that, some truth that needs to be said or something, that that can be taken the wrong way, like you condemn them or they're not good enough or something, you know, that kind of thing, you know. You're being judgmental. Judgmental, yeah, yeah. You're gonna hurt their self-esteem or something like that, you know. The one I got most recently was, I don't need advice, I need encouragement. But I can encourage you not to do this. Yeah. I know you said that I had the cliff. I had old uh, Dwayne on my mind. He's getting ready to jump off that cliff. But I had a family member getting standing at the edge of a cliff, and everybody was everybody was standing back and talking about it. Everybody knew about this thing that was going on, and everybody was whispering about it. Can you? What about this? What about that? I said, "Has anybody?" This is probably two or three years ago. Has anybody walked up? to this person and kind of grabbed them and pulled them off the ledge, you know, or are we just all sitting back here at base camp talking about it? And uh, I ended up going and talking to the person and it didn't help anything, but at least I don't think it, it didn't help anything in the time frame that I thought it should have helped anything. Maybe it's, maybe it has helped something since then. I had no idea, but uh, I was like, hey guys, this is going to lead this person to a big time problem if we without intervene it might not be the easiest thing to do but somebody needs to do this and uh you got the short straw oh well <laughs> i don't know i just i get tired of all that sitting back hearing yeah i'm gonna get i'm gonna get i get excited about this but everybody was talking about this behind the person's back i'm like uh this is dangerous we should do something let's go do it right now so in reading some of the words for the church, the original church of the storm, how they confronted persons, persons in the church that were having a problem, they appointed a committee or appointed a person to go talk to the person, and then after they did that, then the person withdrew from the church. That happened so many times, I'm thinking, I don't think they had any members left, because they were always having a conflict, and they would send somebody to go talk to them, and then they decided they were withdrawing from the church. And that was the minutes from this church. And here, have you read the I've heard I have. That's what you call intending drive. <laughs> <laughs> drive them down. Well, it's in, he referenced it some. It said, like, if we have, a, especially inside the church, if we have a conflict, say me, say me and Rodney have a problem, and... and or say Rodney is deeply embedded in some sinful activity, I'm supposed to go to Rodney and confront Rodney about it. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't turn from that, I'm supposed to go with Steve. Steve, let's go. Rodney's acting a fool over here. Rodney's still acting a fool, doesn't change his mind. I think it says then he needs to come before the church, which is just terrifying to think about. But uh the whole hope in that is that there's repentance before that process, before anybody ever gets to the, you know, if we have the Holy Spirit in us, we should be repentant. We should, that all goes into this wisdom that we should be able to be confronted patiently, and and I think you get what I'm saying. My thought is, 
if you get to that point, you still haven't repented, that probably you should really be questioning your salvation. Yeah. That's one of the, did you fall on the rocky soil, did you? Or the, amongst the weeds? That's scary to think about. That's like, I was like, if God give me the minutes from a church in Owen County, the next meeting they was going to decide they're going to kick this person out of church because he played softball on Sunday afternoon. Oh dear. <laughs> but we never could find the minutes for the next meeting if they really did it. But they were going to bring it up the next on business meeting where they were going to kick this person out of church. He was having too much fun on Sundays. He was, he was working and playing. Yeah. yeah. And you're talking about Noah, his old age. You got to remember, back in 1845, was old age. Now it's seventy. Soon it'll be 900. <laughs> I hope I'm. I'm hope I'm dead no, before then. Be in death. Then. Yeah. Yeah. When you're on your knees, please, Lord, just take, please. Yeah. Just take, yeah. Get me out of here. When we have hurt someone, it is easy to try to explain our actions, but we can often come across as dismissive or as trying to justify our bad behavior. Question, if you have hurt someone, what could you do to apologize without trying to explain yourself? I'm not sure I understand this question. We do not do it again. <laughs> not do it again, that's your answer? Well, you can't apologize and then, and then, and then justify both yeah. at the same time. You erase your apology. If you have hurt someone, what could you do to apologize without trying to explain yourself? Yeah, yeah without trying to justify. Just apologize and quit. Yeah. Just make your mistake and not make excuses. Yeah. yeah. Don't make excuses or try to justify yeah. it. Uh, I'm sorry, but you made me that angry. Yeah. yeah. What would you do? Made me that angry. I'm sorry. That's why you were justified in doing what you did. You seem like you you might have done that before. Mm, no. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, go up to him and say, I'm sorry what I said about you, but it was the truth. <laughs> I'm sorry you're so stupid and caused me to get angry. Yeah. But it's not up to us for them to forgive us. Yeah. No. That's on their part. Reconciliation is difficult, and we may fear that well-intentioned actions will devolve into more arguments. Derwin suggested praying with the person we are in conflict with to help ease our tension. How could prayer with someone who has hurt you help change your attitude toward them? What impact could that prayer time have on the other person? I, I, I got I got like... Years ago when I was working in school, there was this particular teacher that was sort of difficult. And she would end a conversation when she'd have an argument with someone with, I'll pray for you. And the, the problem was she, she was using that as... Um, Condescending. Yeah, it was, it was like a passive aggressive. Yeah. And I was thinking about that, like, that, that I'll pray for you. You're, you're, what you're saying, I feel like when you say that is, I know that you're wrong and you're in a sinful situation, so I'm going to pray for you so you'll come over to my side. It's what it comes across as. Right. And that when he said pray with them, though, mm -hmm. that's, that's me, let's, let's come together 
in this in this disagreement and ask the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and and I just was thinking, wow, how much how much better would that make it if, if in a conflict you said let's let's pray together. I don't know. I just I just thought that was really Yeah, def- definitely have to be careful not to pray at people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God, please fix this broken woman's problems. She's creating problems in my life and blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it needs to be, it needs to not be that. Uh, I said before you even start a conversation with them, can I just have a prayer, you know, inviting the Holy Spirit to come into a conversation, you know, for it's to be fair. So pray even before you start speaking with the person. If both of you are praying, it's allowing God to, to work in the situation. Of to give them some of the time to cool down a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I think it's especially important at, in moments like that. It's always important to know Scripture, to be able to recall things, to add into situations like this. Like, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if your prayer is focused 95% on the Word of God and say, God, we know that we all fall short, we're all sinful, please heal us of our brokenness. I mean, that's not pointing fingers at anybody. I pointing fingers at everybody because we're all sinful. Like what Dale said, that, you know, prayer, when you pray, that's a humbling experience. And when you're sitting there with someone you're in conflict with and you start to pray about it, I think you're going to, it's, it's a humbling and, and you're probably, probably God's going to lay a lot of things on your heart and on your mind that are realizations of what the part you played in the problem and want to humble you about it. You're probably going to pray for your own self to not do from what God's revealing to you through the humbling time of prayer. And then you would bring that other person in too to that. I, would, I mean, I can envision that, you know. You brought a third party into the into the conversation at that point. Hey, immediately. <laughs> well, I think if you're both if you're both believers, if that's what you're doing here, then all of a sudden it's okay. Yeah, I was thinking. I was. It's another party off now, so maybe we should. Do it. I think it's especially important if you know that the other person is a believer. Now, what if you get in a wreck at the intersection of? whatever any intersection and and you're out and pit the guys yelling at you let me pray with you brother you know like, <laughs> what you know how does that how do you sift through that i guess there's a that falls under there's a time and a place or yeah right 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 when you think of conflict resolution how you guys said like you bring a third party into it and it neutralizes it it's no longer you feel much more vulnerable, you feel much more, um, I guess, committed to the discussion when you, when you feel like you brought God in the situation. So when I think of your, your person who said, well, I'll pray for you. Well, similar to what he has said in his message, wouldn't it be amazing if you could have Christians help try to resolve a problem? But your person probably clearly felt like they were a Christian, which they completely went against what God has called us to do to be able to help bring people closer to God rather than gossiping or putting malicious thoughts in your mind because they try to like make a snide you know, comment to you. So you're distinctly going against what Christ has called you to do even though you are considering yourself being a Christian and doing what you're supposed to do. Yeah, I think that was sort of like what the whole com- conversa- con- conversation was about was someone else was saying, well, 
they made them feel like they weren't God, you know, like they weren't seeking a moral resolution and they were supposedly inferior. So when that, would you say neutralness, that mediator coming together with God, because God's not going to choose your side or the other person's side. God's going to choose the truth. Well, because I'm sure that clearly made you a more open-minded person to take in whatever their story was by kind of doing a, an insult to you. So, like doing conflict with, you know, resolution, education through years of work and crucial conversations and trying to figure out, like, what is the best way you're supposed to be able to help break down that barrier and make sure that you're getting your point out there where you're not getting stepped on but you're also not stepping over them you know and kind of belittling them over it there's a very fine line of being able to i mean we all know we've all dipped it you know we probably all dipped it 45 minutes before we got here you know what i mean so just trying to figure out how to crucially have a discussion with someone without belittling them and kind of taking their you know Losing your, I don't know, I'm just trying to think of how to get to say Taking their, like, human character away from them. Yeah, their dignity from them to be able to do it. So, whether you have to say, you know, however you, whatever you're doing is perceived by me and whomever as being X, Y, Z, rather than being like, I told you, you know, that you take the car to shower on Wednesday night, not, you know, kind of... <laughs> Something did happen 45 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but just trying to figure out how to be able to say it, you know, uh, constructively rather than being so destructive. You know, there's an old saying in every argument there are two sides, your side, my side. But the truth is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And that's where you need to try to reach. The last little portion is the goal of a peacemaker is to create unity where conflict has separated us from one another. What is the next step you need to take to create unity in your relationships? I'm being convicted of something sitting in here at the moment because Rodney knows that I just bought a vehicle that needed a transmission immediately. Probably I put, I bought it, put 500 miles on it, needs transmission. And I called the transmission guy today and he said, you're good to go. You know, got a new transmission, blah, blah, blah. Well, I already put a fuel pump in this new to me vehicle. When I drove it, of course, it didn't have any problems, but I got a bit frustrated today thinking about all this money that I've been spending on vehicles lately, and I think maybe I idolize money in ways that I don't even realize, but I texted, this is bad, I'm confessing my sin amongst the church. <laughs> I texted the- We'll vote next one. <laughs> I'm figuring out how to be a peacemaker. There's not, these people probably don't care too much about me, but I can turn this around. My next step to peace making with the people that I bought this vehicle from, as I sent them a message tonight and said, well, this Suburban should run really well with the new transmission in it. Whoops. So I need to apologize for that. That was kind of hateful. 
because it was kind of. I wonder I haven't said mine this week because I'm not sure you can hit yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had a plumber that was supposed to come and told us six times he was going to come and then never showed up. And then we got to do a survey. I'm just thinking, you know, what. How I already sh I shared some things with the with the people I bought the vehicle from. Some I shared part of my testimony about coming to faith with the people that I bought the vehicle from, and then I showed my butt by saying <laughs> that. So now I've got to turn it around, you know. But we serve a forgiving God, and. I'm not really mad. I'm really not mad. I'm not mad at the at the folks. I just get frustrated having to deal with stuff like this. You know, that's why I don't want to live for 900 years. Could you imagine building that ark for nine for 75 years? Oh my gosh! But yeah, I I get uh, I can be a shining example of what not to do from time to time. So I'll keep you posted on how all that shakes out. <laughs> imagine spending 75 years on it, and then you find out it needs to be transferred. <laughs> <laughs> this thing's waterlogged. Yeah. I got two cartoons with the ark. One of them was the says the Mike Franklin's. I told you not to bring the termites. Oh. And the other one was I told you we should have put restrooms in the front and the rear because the boat was towing. Well, my little Facebook post worked today. People, new people showed up because nobody's doing anything in 20 degrees and in the dark. And I said we were going to have some laughs, and we did that, so that's good. I'm glad. I like laughter. If we don't get to laugh, I don't want to be here. So.